he's open today. <laughs> uh, okay, I just want to read a scripture for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 5. Uh, so Paul, Paul writes, and he says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And here's the key. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I just want to say, like, Paul uh, was one of the top guys in the Jewish culture. He knew a lot. He was teaching in the synagogues. I mean, he was so passionate he wanted to kill the Christians because he really believed what they were preaching was wrong. And so he was such a smart guy. And still he says, For I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in the next verse says, And I was with you in weakness, and he's speaking to the church, and in fear and in much trembling, and in my speech and in my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's what I love about that song that we sang this morning, Show Your Power. Um, it says, the gospel, O Lord, the good news, is the hope for our nation. You are the Lord. It's the power of God. This is what Paul says here. It's the power of God for our salvation. It's not my wise words. It's not my nice words. It's not me saying the big words. You're going to hear me use a lot of theological big words today. But it's not about the words. It's still the truth. And we can hear the truth, but still it's not about the words. It's about the Holy Spirit coming and impacting our hearts, changing our hearts, changing our minds with power. But we need to preach the gospel. The good news, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I love how this one guy says this. He says that you're, referring to the scripture, he says that your faith, what you believe, might not rest in the wisdom of men. Mere intellectual persuasion does not save people. Saving faith is produced by the heart-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. The, the Holy Spirit's power changing our hearts. My life, I'm not standing here because somebody said a nice thing. I'm standing here because somebody preached the gospel. Because the Bible says, how will they know? How will they hear if the, if the gospel is not preached? And so the messenger came, but still my life changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, what I'm going to share with you guys, it's not about my intellectual words. Hear the message. Please do. <laughs> There's a lot of preparation. But hear the message. But open your heart to receive the work of the Holy Spirit. And that the power will come and change your lives. That you will not just sit here today and walk out again and say, that was a nice preach. But you would work, walk out here and say, that was a nice preach, and my life was changed. And the Lord did something in my heart this morning. I really do believe that you are not sitting here by mere mistake this morning. I really do believe, and that's what I felt the Lord said to me in worship, is that He has a plan for you this morning to do something in your heart.
And so many of us might have hardened our hearts. Many of us might have turned away. Many of us might be going in a different way and looking at our circumstances and what we are going through and what I want to do in my life, go through new, the New Year's resolutions. I've got them. <laughs> you know, New Year, new me. <laughs> or, or I want to be a better version of yourself. That's not what it's about. I want us to enter the new year because God changed something in our heart. The power of the gospel changed the way we live. And we're running in this new year and to the rest of our lives glorifying Him because of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It just feels like a good end there, but all right, let's, let's go. <laughs> that was my, not even my introduction. I'm supposed to pray after this, but okay. So, saying this, the gospel, the word gospel means good news, plain and simple. We've heard it many times. And it's the redemption process of Jesus on the cross, what he's done for us, the saving of Jesus, the, the way that Jesus saved us on the cross, the redemption process. I see many times you can break it up in three parts. The first part is we are saved. We believe in Jesus, we repent, and we got saved. And we believe we're going to heaven. And then when, what we many times do is we skip the middle one, the second part of the redemption story. We go to the third part and we go like, I've been saved, now I'm going to heaven and that's it. Now I just need to cope here on earth. Just need to make it, just need to run, not trip too much, you know, just go, not get too much offended. Jesus, just come back, this is getting way too bad for me. And we see that part. But there's a middle part. You, say, you see, the gospel is this. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. Friends, what are you saying? Let me read this to you quickly. 1 Peter 1, verse 3-7 to says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has called us, he's caused us to be born again, okay, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are saved. In theological terms, they use, they use the word justification, all right? And then he goes on and he says, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You will be saved. Glorification. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Who's been grieved by various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, and here's where I want to come to today. We're being saved. Sanctification, more precious than gold that perishes through it, it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. So we are saved, justification, we're being saved, sanctification, and we will be saved, glorification, all right? Justification is this. It's God declaring the sinners to be righteous, all right? So justification, we are saved. When Jesus died on the cross for us, we were guilty. You and I together broke God's law. And because of that, we 
needed to pay him back. And the wages of sin is what? Death. So God said to Adam, Adam, if you eat of that tree, if you break my law, surely you will die. Did Adam die? Not physically, but spiritually. All right? And so he had to pay something. He had to, in a court of law, if you break the law, you have to go to court and pay. Whether it be a fine, whether it be going to jail, whatever it might be, you have to pay something because you broke the law. It's the same with God. And so justification is this. You have been justified. Jesus Christ paid the price for you. He died in your place so that you can be in righteousness, right standing with God. You guys are with me, eh? I'm using big words. But right standing with God. God paid your debt. Legally, your debt has been paid. So you are in right standing with God now. So you're going to heaven. Praise the Lord, eh? Amen? You're going to heaven. That's good news. I, 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 I was thinking about, we were, I was preaching on um, Christmas Day. And I was preaching, uh, preaching the gospel. And I, was, I said, we're all sinners. And I was showing us all the bad things. Because if, before we can see good news, we have to see the bad things. So that the good news can be good news. Do you agree with me? And I showed everyone that we're in trouble. But Jesus came for us and died for us on the cross. And no, people were excited. It was like this, you know, we're in church. It's Christmas Day. I don't want to get too excited. But afterwards, I went like, oh, God, may we get excited again about the work that you've done for us. Because I don't like, I, I, I watch some, some sport matches and the guys get crazy excited about the sport. And I'm like, it's got no eternal value. It's exciting and it's lacquer and I enjoy watching sport. But it's got no eternal value. And then we preach this message of us being saved, being justified, and right standing with God again. And people go like, yeah, I've heard that story again. I long for the day that we get excited where everyone stand up on their seat and they clap and they go like, I've been saved. I need to preach this message to the rest of the people. I need to, pre pre I need to preach it to my family that's unsaved. I need to pre preach it to those that, 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 that's blind, that doesn't see their wrong things because there's good news. And I long for that day where we will get excited about it again. Somebody writes in the Bible, he says, Lord, restore again the joy of my salvation. Oh, Jesus, may you restore again and work that fire in us again for the joy of our salvation. Lord, because you are God and you came down from heaven to earth. Among your cre creation, you lived and you died a shameful death on the cross, Lord. So that we can be reconciled in right relationship with you again, Lord. Lord, may we not just see the story, Lord, but maybe we get excited because this is the truth. And this is the gospel that the world needs to hear, Lord. Off my notes. <laughs> A complete and finished act. That's what happened on the cross. Justification. But then I want to come to the second part. We are being saved. And that's sanctification. You know, I was when I was in, um, I went to to Bible school. Wait, is all on. I went to um, <clears throat> I went to Bible school, and um, the first I, w I, don't, I don't know when I got saved. I was in Bible school, and I was sitting through the classes, and they were the guy was teaching, and I was I was not sure what he was teaching about. But in some way, the Lord came and He changed my heart and He opened my eyes, and I. I got, I got back into the classes and I was like, what? This is amazing. Why haven't you taught us this this whole year? And he's like, 
Yes, he has been teaching you this. But the Lord opened my eyes to see and know the truth because I was blinded. That's what, the, that's what the word says. You were blinded. There's a veil in front of your eyes. You can't see the truth. But the Lord lifted it. And I remember a while later, I, was, I went to my grandma in, in Paul and I went to go eat her food, <laughs> as good students does. Um, and, and, I, and I drove back and um, I was listening, obviously, to something in my golfie. And I thought to myself, oh, I made it. There's nothing more that I need to learn. I like, I'm like solid now. Jesus, come fetch me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong in my life. I'm like perfect. <laughs> it's like when you get married and you go like, yes, it's perfect. And then you go like, whoa, There's something jumped up. My wife always thought that because I was in Bible school, I'm perfect. And then she goes like, God, she married me. And then she sees I'm not perfect. <laughs> Michael, can you, yeah, you can agree with that. Yes, you're not perfect. Lisa is, eh? No. <laughs> uh, but then the Lord started showing me my pride. <laughs> I remember like um, in high school, my biggest dream was to go on to idols <laughs> and win idols and become famous and uh, be that guy, you know. And um, or he's played in a band in school. And when I came into Bible school, there was the worship team. I'm like, eh, well, I can lead worship, sing a song. And, um, and, and, and then the Lord just put me in the background for a very long time where, <laughs> where I, would, I would sing. And we had these, now they have in-ears that so they can hear themselves. But we had monitors there, speakers. And the worship leader would always be the loudest. And I'll be here and I'll sing. And I can't hear. And I would always complain about not hearing. And there was a pride in my heart because I wanted to perform. And I wanted people to like me. And I wanted to be the main guy, center stage. And, um, and then, I know the Lord came and he changed my heart. And this is sanctification, that being saved. He started taking, working through that pride in my life because it's not glorifying God. And I remember just one day just deciding, I'm not even going to sing. I'm just going to worship because this is why I'm on stage in the first place. To not only sing, but worship in my, my being so that when people look at me, they see that I'm glorifying Jesus. And um, I remember uh, one of my... Uh, the guys who walked with me, uh, Moses, he, um, he, he came to me the one day and he said, no, they spoke in the elders meeting and he just wants to encourage me and say, like, when I'm on stage, and it's not about me, guys, I'm not saying it's about me, but it's just a testimony of God. Something happens. There's something of God's presence that's like, it's there. And it's not because of me. I had to lay down my pride and just decide I'm going to worship. And God had to work that out of me. I had fear of man. I cared about so much what people thought of me that I couldn't do the work of, that God wanted me to, to do because I was so scared of it. Um, I had insecurities, a bunch of them. I was striving. And slowly but surely, God first started to work with me by getting me to stop using uh, weed and, and smoking and drinking and partying and all those stuff. He had to work it out of me first. And that's the things that people could see. And then when that was worked out of me, then all of a sudden there was stuff that people couldn't see, but that God was working out of me. Because he's taking us through this process, you know. From the day you get saved and you give your life to Jesus until the day you die, God is taking you through a process of being saved, being sanctified, being made more like Jesus, taking out that yucky stuff out of you, like uh, Tracy said, that car. You know, when I need to clean my car, I, I 
put the stuff there in the in elke hoekie and gaikie and and I clean it outside and inside and you know sometimes Jesus starts on the outside but then he goes on the inside. My car can be a mess on the inside but it can be clean on the outside and people go like that's a clean car but come inside now. And since Jesus wants to do that in your life as well. There might be some stuff that you can think of this morning that God has been pushing pressing his finger on. And and he wants to sort it out. Why? Why does he want to sort it out? Because he wants to make you look more like Jesus. He wants to make you look more like Jesus. I'm completely off my notes, but there's a scripture somewhere. <laughs> here's, a, here's a quote. Um, I'm not sure about who it is, but um, he says, Clearly, the early church had come to see salvation. Again, the whole work on the cross as a work of God by which he makes his people more like Christ, to the end that they more closely reflect the image of God. What is the image of God? This, this is actually a good question. You know, we in Genesis uh, we see in the creation that um, <clears throat> that God said, "Let's make man in our image." And so, what is that image? Because that was before man sinned against God, before he became corrupted. God made man in his image. And then sin came, and something corrupted inside of There's a nature that was not God's nature because of sin, because of us breaking his law. And I love what John Piper says. He says this. It's a long portion, but just it's beautiful. When we, uh, yeah, I'm going to read it. He says this. Images are created to image. <laughs> if you create an image, if you make a sculpture of someone, Let's say I make a sculpture of myself here, all right? You do it to display something about that someone. You put it in the square in the middle of town, and you want people to look at it, notice it, think about that person, and think something about them. I don't know if you guys have been to Cape Town and stuff. There's always sculptures about some guy on uh, my history, a guy on a horse or whatever, and people look at the thing and they go like, <laughs> don't judge me. <laughs> uh, uh, and I look at it and I go like they remember the history, they remember what the person did for them and this is what, it, this is what Piper is saying here um, that they were noble or strong or wise or courageous or something now, that, now what would it mean if you created 7 billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world it would mean you want, would want people to notice you and then he says this God created us in his image, so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. Here's the picture in my mind. I was created like a mirror, and he's using a different analogy now. He says, I was created like a mirror, and a mirror that was, mirror, it's a spill, uh, that was supposed to be 45 degrees with the clear reflective side pointing upward so that as God sh shone or shined on it and the 45 degree uh, on the 45 degree angle it would bounce off and it would make a 90 degree turn and be reflect out into the world and all did you guys catch that that's very that's a lot of degrees eh? and <laughs> so basically like this God shines on it and makes a 90 degree turn into the world all right 
I wanted to draw an image, but I'm not good at drawing. Um, and at the fall, Satan persuaded me that my image is more beautiful than God's image. And so I flipped the mirror over. Now the black backside is towards God. It doesn't reflect anything. Instead, the mirror casts a shadow in the shape of itself on the ground, and I fell in love with the shadow. That is what happened, and we have been loving ourselves ever since. And in salvation, two things happened. The mirror gets turned around, and we see the glory of God again. And the defilement that had gone over the face, remember the Bible says we were, there, was a, there was a veil in front of our eyes, of it gets wiped off gradually, that is sanctification, gradually, the process, and we begin to reflect God. And so, so he says, so I think being created in the image of God means that we, are, that we image God, we reflect God, we live in a way, we think in a way, we feel in a way, we speak in a way that calls attention to the brightness of the glory of God. Is that, isn't that beautiful? So many times people go, we were made in the image of God, and we go like, oh, you know, I'm powerful. And then you get the weird theories, the little God theories of we're like God, we are gods, and that's nonsense, nonsense. I just want to tell you that's a lie of the devil, and it's not true. You and I were created in God's image so that we can mirror him to the rest of the world. That's what we created. If you ever, if you're sitting here today and you go like, I don't know what my purpose is. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. Adam and Eve, when they were created, their purpose wasn't to name the animals. Their purpose wasn't to make babies and multiply. Their purpose wasn't to work the ground. Their purpose was firstly to glorify God. And then God went like, do this and this and this. And so interesting, one of the writers says, in everything you do, whether you sleep, whether you eat, whether you drink, glorify God. And you go like, how do I glorify God by my eating? Don't eat too much. <laughs> so, but everything, and this is what he's saying, it's mirroring God's glory. Everyone's thinking about their Christmas suppers now, and lunches and stuff. It was beautiful. Uh, and so it's interesting, like, we was, I was sitting two days ago. My wife's not here, so she's not going so <laughs> to. So two days ago, I went for a, under the, the bus. Um, and my, I phoned my grandma because... Um, Anyway, I found my grandma, and uh, I said, dude, do you want to go into video call to quickly see Jamie, our little one, our two-year-old? And she and I put him on video, and I show her Jamie, and she goes like, um, yes, he's so beautiful. Like, he's so beautiful. Like, he, just, he looks just like you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said to my wife, leave me a lace to me, so. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then she went like, oh, but he's a good combination of the two of you. Um, but, but that's the beauty of our children, like, and, and it's, it's a beautiful image of, of, of God and us being the, His children, you know. When God creates us into His image, people look at us and they should go like, He's so beautiful. Huh? That just wrecked me. Because can we sit here today and go like, when Dion looks at me, he goes like, this God is beautiful. Can people? Or do they look at you and just see you? 
We were created so that people will look at us. God said to the nations, he said to Israel in the Old Testament, he says to them, be holy as I am holy. Yes, that's rough, man. And then Peter goes into the New Testament and he quotes God again. And he says, as it was written, be holy as I'm holy. And God always wanted the nation of Israel to reflect his glory. He did not want them to look like the rest of the tribes and the nations and the people. He wanted them to be holy because he's holy. He wanted Israel to reflect him so that they would be a testimony. And then we jump into the New Testament and, and one of the writers says, You are a light in this world. You are a city on a hill. So let your light shine. Is it your light? Is it Michael's light? No, it's Christ in him. The hope of glory. You are not the hope of this world. Jesus is. Jesus is. And so, do you understand when I go to the place of, you know, we go, the world tells us, be a better version of yourself. Please not. Please, there's no better version of myself. There's good, there's, yes, we've got personality and we can do things well and all those things. But, but God. Reflect God. I'm off my notes. I'm just going to go on with it. All right. So, but, and for us to reflect him well, what do we need to do? Well, Jesus writes, before, or writes, never wrote. Um, before Jesus, maybe he wrote, I don't know. Before Jesus goes and, and, and goes into heaven again, he says to, to the disciples, he says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And I know that sometimes we look at these churches and there's, there's the, you know, there's people speaking in tongues and there's prophesying and there's, there's words of knowledge and there's seeing visions. And all of these things the Holy Spirit gives us gifts so that we can edify one another and build one another up. But you know what the Holy Spirit also does? He's the Holy Spirit. So when He indwells you, He leads you into holiness. And so this is like the, the interesting part of our salvation. One... We are holy, and two, we're being made holy. We are holy because of Christ's imputed, big word, righteousness on us. God clothes us. When the Father looks at us, He sees His Son. He sees the holiness. But then also God is working out of you a bunch of stuff which does not reflect Him, and He makes you holy. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. He's your comforter. He will lead and guide you into all truth. This is Scripture. Somewhere that I had there. <laughs> he will lead and guide you into all truth. I'm just looking for my scripture quickly. Um, here's something beautiful. 1 Peter 1 verse 1 to 2. Um, Peter is writing and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, apostle. To those who are elect exiles, and then he calls a bunch of places. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and then he says this, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace multiply to you. The Holy Spirit is the one 
that sanctifies us, that leads us, that goes like, Michael, that thing that you just did is not Christ-like. You are not reflecting and you're not imaging God, Christ, the right way at the moment. I want to work that out of you. And what is our response? Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me and help me because he's our helper. And so he makes us holy. Let's see what my time is, 28 minutes. <laughs> Are you guys still with me? It's like, there's a lot of stuff. But this is, this is just the beauty of, of, and it's really for me the gospel. It's the full picture of the gospel. Is Yes, we were saved. We are saved. We did believe. We were justified. We, we stepped into God, paid our guilt, but he's making us holy. He's making us more Christ-like. And um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit does it, but he also needs, but all, we also give ourselves to the process. You know, you can find people that's probably saved, and not totally sanctified yet. Because <laughs> sometimes people just run away. And, 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 uh, and, and we need to start giving our, laying our lives down on the altar. And so I'm going to finish just with four quick points of how we can position ourselves. It's probably a better word. How we can position ourselves so that God can work the things out of us that's not of Him. And work Himself in us so that we can reflect Him better. The first point is this, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. If you're making notes, um, the first point is behold him. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this, and we all, this is us, if you are following Jesus, it's you, you are the all. With unveiled faces, when the veil tore and God took that off your eyes and you can see him, um, he says, beholding the glory of God, beholding, looking, gazing the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so we need to start beholding Him. So again, Jamie, I always said before I had a child, I said, I'll never use my child in preachers. It's so corny. But then you start learning more. You look at your child, you go like, yes, there's a lesson right here. And so I'm using my child a lot now these days when I preach. Um, but it's crazy, like our two-year-old Jamie, he does everything that we do. Like you, 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 you do, you sit the one way, like I was sitting the other day, I made myself uh, breakfast, sitting on the couch, it's like a small table. You would normally just sit and eat this cuckoo, he's a cuckoo pop. <laughs> he would just sit and just sit back and he looked at me and he, he said, no, Papa, sit near, sit near. And I put it down on the table and he sits and now he wants to eat as well. His table, his legs doesn't even get to the table, but he wants to eat his cuckoo from the table like me. And, um, and, and it was so beautiful because like my wife also said to me, like he's doing everything and saying everything that we do. And it's such a beautiful picture because it's the same as we behold him, we start doing what he does. You see, the problem is, we go to books and we go to quotes and we go to looking on the inside. They say, go look on the inside. No, 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 no. Look up. Look up. Just look at him. He'll fix what needs to be fixed on the inside. You just need to behold. Because I, I, I'm just like, as a worship leader, as a worship leader, I go, when I see something of Jesus, I cannot but respond to that thing. 
So if I just jump on stage and just sing another song, it will just be a song. And I can prep and look on the inside and get my skill and everything. And, and it'll be a nice song and we can sing Kumbaya together and it's nice. But when we see what we sing, worship comes. Worship in spirit and in truth. So we sing the truth, but we worship in spirit as we see him. And so we need to behold so that we can be transformed. It feels like a Facebook quote, and I just made it up. <laughs> so w- w- how do you behold? One, read the Bible. I said to someone the other day, I think the biggest problem in Christendom at the moment is this. People don't read their Bibles anymore. They would rather go to some bookstore and grab a book out there and get the latest and the trainers message, but they don't read their Bible. And then what happens is some teachers are flawed, and it's the wrong Jesus there. And we start looking at the wrong Jesus instead of the right one that God wants to show us. And so the Spirit leads us into all truth and He will remind us. So we have to start beholding Christ by reading our Bibles and getting there, getting into the Word of God. We need to start praying, praying in that Word, praying to God. It's communion. It's, it's, It's basic fellowship with God. That's praying. You don't have to over... Make it too difficult of a thing, five steps to prayer. No, no. Jesus says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean for you? God, how amazing are you? And when we read the word and we see the character of Jesus, we see the character of God, then prayer becomes easier because we know God. And that's how we behold. That's how we behold. We read and we commune with him. And then worship. Worshipping Him, looking at Him. Worship is not doing this. Worship is doing this. Obedience. 1 Peter 1.14 says, uh, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, the things you did before you came to Jesus. But as He who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God asks of us to do things. I think one of the beautiful stories, well, no, maybe I'll skip that story and rather tell a beautiful story about Michael. So Michael stands in worship, and God tells Michael, dance on stage. And Michael goes, yes, Lord, where do you go? How did you go? I said, um, I don't think um, I heard right. Just confirm it. Just confirm it again. And then Donovan started singing a song of Come Dance With Me. And then I had to go. (laughs) The confirmation generation. (laughs) And so Michael, who's been dancing all of his life, no joking, he hasn't. He gets on stage and he dances. Or if you're American, he dances. Um... And it's something um, happened like the fire fall down from heaven or nothing specifically. No, I, I, I just felt a massive amount of freedom. And that's the thing. And God used that obedience to do something on the inside. To bring freedom where there was captivity. I remember um, we were doing Strand Insta um, 20. 13 and 14. Um, and I was sitting and I was listening to a guy called Christopher 
he's leading church in Bonneville, yes, um, and he preached, I don't remember what he was preaching, and uh, all of a sudden, something happened inside of me, something clicked, I don't know what happened, but I just experienced this freedom inside of me, and I just broke out and started laughing loudly, like crazy, I just lost it, I just started laughing, losing it, and it's not like I wanted to laugh and be on the score, but God broke something inside of me and he set me free. You know how we reflect Jesus? It's when we stop living in captivity and walk into freedom. I just feel this for us. Like just, this is not in my notes. It's just like freedom. And freedom many times comes through obedience. Even though it's how, even doesn't matter how difficult it is. When we start obeying, God does something. Even though it's silly and nobody knows, it goes like, look at this guy. There's freedom. Something happens inside of it. And sometimes nothing happens. <laughs> but we obeyed. <laughs> and it's important because he's Lord. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. And so obedience, putting to death the things that God wants out of your life. You know, when God asks of you to stop social media or lay this thing down, it's difficult for you. I remember Andrew Selly, who leads Josh Jen. I think God told him to lay down surfing for a time. I mean, it's surfing. But there was something much bigger there. And he had to put something to death in his own heart. and Perhaps an idol. He had to obey and put it to death. And so we need to obey. That's how sanctification also works. And then the last two things is this. Number three, fellowship or fellow believers. You know, God has called you. To be in a church. I'm just going to put it out there. God has called you to belong to a church. And it's weird because we can't say that anymore because church is judgmental. Church is, uh, wants to control me. Church wants to, no, 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 no. There's guys that messed up out there and that's not glorifying God. But God wants you to be in a church. God wants you to plant. Because your sanctification many times happens with those around you. God uses people to sanctify you. When you get that offense, is it an offense because the person did something? Maybe. Or was there something in your heart? And then God starts dealing with it because you have that offense. God starts dealing with it. And he makes you more like Jesus. I, one guy also mentored me, uh, Skulk. He said to me, you've got five seconds to get over it. If you can't get over it, you go to that person. Because we harbor it sometimes, and then we don't reflect Jesus. We don't want to go to church because they're hypocrites. Yes, because <laughs> we're all being made like Jesus more, and we have some bad stuff in us, and we make mistakes. We all do. But let's help one another to become more like Jesus. Accountability. Something that the world doesn't know. You can't tell me what to do. Hey, man, I love you so much that I want to tell you, I think what you're doing is wrong. And it's not glorifying Jesus. And so we need one another to tell us that blind spots. I had to send, sit the friend down. I had to go like, you picked up an offense. And you, I see that it's probably valid that the person is wrong. But you have to deal with this. Because God called you to much more in this, in this local body. You have to deal with it. Go speak to the person. 
but there's something in you that's insecure that you need to work through. We need one another. We desperately need one another. And God's coming back for a bride, eh? Not one person, a bride. A pure and spotless bride. And the last thing is this. Trials and tribulations. It's my last scripture. It says Romans 5, verse 3 to 5. It says this. Not only that, but we rejoice. Say rejoice. In our suffering. <laughs> I tricked you there. <laughs> rejoice in our suffering. My goodness, that's difficult. Who likes rejoicing in their suffering? It's very difficult. I remember there was a guy, uh, Rodney, who came to us uh, in Bible school, and he, he's a prophet. Very good. He sees, when he looks at you, he's, this is what God just happened. He sees a screen above your head, and he just starts prophesying. Amazing. And I was like, tell me, tell me about my ministry. I didn't tell him yet. This is my heart. <laughs> my ministry, what God's going to do through me, where I'm going to go. And then I hear about people that's going to go overseas on bicycles and preach the gospel and plant churches. And then he gets to me, and he goes, he's American. No, I'm not going to do American accent. He goes, he goes, Francois, God speaks to you in many ways. But I feel he wants to start speaking to you through suffering. And I went, yes, Lord. And I said, I went like, that's not for me. It was for this guy next to me. I was the guy who was going to plant the church. <laughs> but suffering... Yeah, Jason Upton says, suffering how beautiful you are. You know, it's, it's, there's something that God does in us that he, can, that he uses through our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering. You know, many times it's because of circumstances. But God says, I'll use everything for the good. To the good for those who love me. And so in our suffering, God is working something in and out of us. And so 1 John 3 verse 2, and this is the last part that I wanted to say. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Sanctification is a process. You're going to go through it. You're going to walk through it, doing all these things. But we'll only be 100% like him on that last day. Let's be excited for it, but let's give ourselves for now. And I believe that this year, and the years to come, it's not just yet. This is not a resolution, a revolution, what? The resolution, New Year's resolution. This is not what it is. This is the Christian walk. It's not about us, it's about Him and how we reflect Him better. So let's, um, can we stand together? Let's stand together.